Investor intelligence provides general information only. You should consider seeking independent advice to see how this information relates to your unique circumstances. Please refer to the terms and conditions available at investorintelligence.com.au for more. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors. It's your weekly podcast for all things investment. My name is Phoebe Sikowski-Wallace. I am your host and I am joined once again by the one and only Luke Harris, Luke, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast and you've been a very, very busy man. What have you been up to? Yes, Phoebe, how are you? Uh, look, we've been really focused on our uh, development here. We're doing our land subdivision. Uh, all of the trees are down. We've got excavators and plumbers and sewerage pipes going in and there's rocks and stuff. It, it's quite a busy site at the moment, so it's progressing quite well. It's taken a bit of uh, a bit of my uh, focus for the last uh, few weeks or so, but uh to be fair, I'm not actually the one doing the work, so it shouldn't have taken so much time out of my calendar. But it's quite an exciting time for everybody involved. Wow, yeah, all that exciting stuff. <laughs> so for those who read the weekly uh, Property Mentors blog, you may have recently seen a blog post titled, The Property Clock is Always Ticking, So Set Your Alarm. Uh, if you haven't, please do check that out. Check out our whole blog because there's heaps of great information um, on there at www.thepropertymentors.com.au forward slash blog. Um, but this week's episode is inspired by that blog in particular and it's something that's attracted quite a lot of interest and a lot of attention and it comes at quite a good time as well. Um, and it's all about this cycle that we see the property market go through over and over again. Um, to start off, Luke, in your experience, you've been investing for over two decades now. Are these patterns something that you do see happening? And do you see them happening quite similarly every time? Well, there definitely are patterns and cycles that, that markets follow. And uh, I guess each time it's it's a little bit different. There's not exactly the same parameters and circumstances surrounding uh, every market condition that's out there. But Everything uh, in property and in life really runs in cycles. So it's not a surprise to to see ourselves in this current environment uh, where rates have come down and they're going back up again. So uh, I guess for those that, that understand those cycles, uh, certainly doesn't come as a surprise. Mm, okay. So you sort of, you see the same broad kind of cycles, but within that, obviously, there's little changes here and there. There's intricacies uh, in every cycle that are a little bit different, but uh, the reality is is that uh, it, it's, it wasn't a surprise to most investors that interest rates were going to go back up at some point. Mm, yeah, no, of course. And now with this property clock, so we can't obviously predict the future, but as you say, you'd see these patterns, you can kind of almost 
bank on these cycles. So this, this property clock has three main categories or stages. And so they're called boom, correction and recovery. And then within these three main stages, each have these kind of subcategories, which are events that happen within them, such as, you know, rent rises, uh, media hype, increased demand and inflation, just as some examples. Um, Luke, where do you see the current property market at the moment? Which stage are we in? Well, look, it is a difficult question to answer because there is no one answer to that. Um, to I guess to quantify that a little bit, the property clock is is a very simplified version of a very complex set of circumstances. So what we've got sure. to consider is that, you know, these things that we've got such as increased demand, affordability crisis, inflation, uh, RBA intervention, media hype, the media is always in there somewhere at, at some level. But um, the thing is, is that every market's different. So when we're talking about the property clock, we're talking about a very general understanding of the Australian property market in general. Now, there is no such thing as the Australian property market. Of course, we've got the Sydney market, the Darwin market, Perth, Brisbane, Melbourne, all different markets there within that. And they're all different stages. And even if they're only slightly off, they are still at different stages. So the property clock something to certainly be aware of, but it's not something to make all of your investment decisions on. Yeah, okay. I think that's a really important point to make, yeah. Yeah, so I think just to, to clarify that, so I think at the moment we're, we're sort of sitting on, on our property clock that we've got here, we're sitting somewhere around the two o'clock mark. As we can see, inflation's going uh, going haywire and uh, going up. And obviously there's, there's intervention with the RBA, interest rates are increasing, uh, and of course, we're in that stage where there's a lot of media hype as well. So the media is is uh, being quite dramatic, I think, uh, being, uh, I mm. guess, the simplified version. The media is being quite a drama queen at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think the, the media that's being put out really is setting up that there's a big crisis coming and that a lot of people are going to uh, really feel a lot of pain from these uh, increased interest rates and market conditions. Now, to a certain extent, that's true, but probably not as as um, as dire as as some of the media is predicting. Yeah. So, just to clarify, would you say we're sitting in a correction phase based off those subcategories? Uh, yes, and again, in a very general sense, in in that of course, yeah. uh, phase, uh, sort of, and some people might call the correction phase. Uh, there's different versions of the the property clock as to what information goes into that. Some might see a correction as a downturn. Um, it might mm. be a downturn in activity, but not necessarily a downturn in prices. So I guess it's understanding what each each of these components mean. And also, like I said, there's a very generic uh, understanding of what's going on, but it does give some reference to what is happening in the market right now. Yeah. Now, just quickly on media hype, um, when you say that, does the media really have that big of an effect on the property market? It, it seems to, yes. And a lot of people really are not property investors. Most people out there are mum and dad, uh, mum and dad buyers just paying the mortgage off and raising a family, or they're a first home buyer, or they're looking to people looking to get into the market that haven't, you know, haven't bought. They might have sold a property and they're just waiting for prices to come down. Um, so I guess that media sort of uh, attention doesn't do any, any, um, or it doesn't help anyone really um, because mm. at this this particular phase, you know, on the complete opposite side of the clock, uh, you know, in more boom times, you'll see front page, you know, 
mum and dad makes $100,000 in three months on their property or record price for an apartment in Sydney or those types of things are, are in there. And that, on the flip side, makes people think that they're going to miss out. So therefore, they, they go in and that fuels the fire even more. Um, where we're at right now, the media hype that's happening is that it's all doom and gloom. Markets are about to crash. Prices are coming down. And a lot of people will believe that and they'll get out of the market. They'll sell their property now because they think that it's going to get worse. Uh, you know, and this is where you start seeing headlines like bloodbath and, uh, you know, all of these sorts of headlines that really ad- attract people to click on things online. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, it was headlines like that would sell newspapers, obviously with less newspapers these days and more clicks on the internet. It's designed mm-hmm. to get designed to get clicks so really it comes down to you know the media is feeding this to a certain extent if you took the media out of it uh things would be a little bit more calm and we wouldn't see as many highs and lows uh that we see in the property markets but this has always been there the media has always been involved and does have some influence on markets and individual uh, mindset around decisions uh because a lot of people are out there unlike our members, they're making emotional decisions and they're making these decisions based on what's happening in their life right now. And if what's mm-hmm. happening in your life right now is that you're struggling to pay the bills and there's media out there that says it's about to get harder, inflation's going up, your mortgage is about to go up, a lot of people will abandon ship right now and forget about their long-term plans because right now they're going to feel the, feel the pain. Mm, Yeah, it's no wonder that people's confidence gets played with a little bit. But that's a really important thing to remember is that the media don't just do it purely to instill fear. They do it because they've got their own reasons for wanting to get those clicks on their own, you know, for their own sake. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there is there is one uh, line from the blog and it's just within the sort of media hype conversation. It says it reports the interest rates and not the property prices. So they're very good at sort of focusing the attention on half of the, you know, whatever's going on and not necessarily the important part. Well, that's the thing. You've got multiple factors when you're looking at the, the property markets. You've got days on market, how many days is uh, properties are sitting on the market for. You've got auction clearance rates, which is really only a percentage of the market. And auction clearance rates generally only count in Melbourne and Sydney because other markets around the country don't have an auction culture and most properties don't get sold by auction. So focusing on auction clearance rates, which the media loves to do, isn't an mm. indicator of, of what's actually going on. Um, and also vendor discounting. Uh, how much people are actually discounting their properties to get a sale. So days on market and vendor discounting are two things to factor in as well when we're looking at this. And that's why the media reports what suits them and doesn't necessarily mm. present the whole picture so that people can get an understanding. Because if they did that, that would be called balanced journalism. And that's probably, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a bit of a rarity these days when it comes to, to, to property reporting. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the media reports what they want to report. And they've mm. got their agenda, which is to get more people to look at their their article and go to their website, which often has av- advertising on it. It's not there to give financial advice and it's certainly not personalized for your own situation. So you should never be making any of your decisions based on media reporting alone. Absolutely. So if if we're in a sort of general correction phase now, what period of time before this would you say was the the boom phase? Was that around the time kind of COVID hit? 
Actually, it was. And when we're looking at markets prior to COVID around the country, uh, the property markets and interest rates and everything was in a relatively healthy state, given that, you know, the market was just ticking along the way it the way it normally does. Um, we were seeing some uh, significant price rises in, in some areas. Uh, some areas were just ticking along. Again, all markets being in different stages of the, the property clock. Um, but in particular, 2020, a lot of people stepped out of the market or stepped aside. And a lot of people waited to see what happened. And they wanted to just see what happened with this COVID thing. It's a big, scary thing that we don't know. It's unknown. It's, it's, it's scary, it's risky, and I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to sit out of, out of the market. In hindsight, the people that bought during 2020 were buying in a market that wasn't competitive. They were buying in a market right. where other people were out of the market, they'd stepped aside, they were waiting to see what happened, and what that meant was there was less competition, and also there was a lot of vendors that wanted to get out because they were also scared. A lot of vendors were thinking, hey, I want to get out of this property market now because it what if the market crashes? What if it drops by 50%? What if mm. we're entering a, a GFC type scenario? What if we're entering a, uh, a, a USA type scenario where property prices are just going to go through the absolute floor and there's going to be a banking crisis? And I think the times of uncertainty are where the most sophisticated investors will make money. If mm. the, the, the people that can make the most money are the ones that can handle the most amount of uncertainty. And, and struggling, uh, struggling to decide which side of the fence you sit on can cost you time and money. Yeah, and if you have a look at that blog, there's actually some stats on there that compare, say, March of 2020 to February of this year and just how you know the, the, the median house prices have changed and grown and everything. So definitely check that out as well just to give you a clearer picture of what's actually happened in the last two years. Yeah. And Phoebe, the other thing to consider as well is that if you look over the last two years, COVID's affected the building industry in a huge way. And um, mm-hmm. obviously, if we've, we've had, a, a, I guess, a bit of a stall to building activity, that means that less properties in the last two years have been coming online into the market. So we've still, people have still been having babies. People have still been growing their families and, and doing all of those things. But if we haven't been building houses to the normal levels that we have been, that means that there's a, a shortage. And in this country, there always has been, for the last 10 or 20 years, there's been a shortage of new construction for housing. And there really is a housing shortage on the, on the medium to long term in Australia. We're not building enough houses. And, uh, you know, when it comes to houses, apartments, townhouses, whatever, whatever you describe as a house, we're simply not building enough. And obviously, with a two-year pause, essentially, throughout 2020 and 2021, it's like an elastic band. You pull it back. To a certain level, it's got to it's got to snap at some point, and that's that's where we're at right now. When we're seeing prices in 2022 still at record levels, uh, we've come yeah. off the back of a, of a slowdown in construction activity, a slowdown in purchasing over the last few years, and then we've also had record low interest rates. So these are really the perfect storm that's got us to where we're at today. Mm. So, as someone actively investing in property. Does something like this cycle give you kind of confidence in your own portfolio? I know, again, it's it's in a very general sense and, and different markets will be in different phases, but does something like this give you confidence in not only your own property portfolio, but helping others continue to build theirs? Because when I looked at it, it almost, the first thing I was reminded of was, uh, you know, a lot of people have these fears and these worries because they can't predict the future. And I just thought something like this cycle, if it sort of keeps happening over and over again, maybe not in the exact same timeframes and maybe not with the exact same um, intricacies, 
I feel like that would almost mitigate some of those fears and worries for people. Yeah, look, I'm as confident as ever. I'm more than comfortable yeah. with with my property portfolio, where it's at right now. Um, properties all around the country that are performing well, uh, getting some some uh, great rents. Rents are increasing around the country still, and you know this is this is where where I'm at personally. However, there are people that are going to freak out by what's happening right now, and they're going to be concerned. Um, like I said, the people that are um, going to make the, the the wrong decision right now, the people that are uneducated. And it's the same thing if I, if, and I've used this example hundreds of times now, if, if you said to me right now, Luke, we're going skydiving and, and in 20 minutes I'm coming to pick you up, I'm <laughs> going to freak out. I don't want to go skydiving. My, my, mum, went, my mum went skydiving on her on a 60th birthday, right? And it's something that she wanted oh to do. I've, I've never done it, don't want to do it, right? But at the same time, <laughs> for me, that's risky, right? I think about the worst case scenario. I'm not thinking about how exhilarating it will be, uh, the view that you'll get, the, the rush that you'll get, all of the fun. And so many people have done it that I know and they, they love Scott. I mean, can't wait to go again. They do it every week if they could afford to do that. Um, but for me, I always think about the worst case scenario. It's the same thing with people right now looking at this, this these market conditions in the media. They're looking at the worst case scenario. Now, if I was actually educated on the risks involved in skydiving, and how, how, how well made the parachutes are and how much training and experience the instructors have and how much maintenance that plane has and all of the other factors that could mitigate those risks and do mitigate those risks. But for me, it's too scary. I don't want to know about it. And it's the same thing with investing is that a lot of people are going to freak out looking at these market conditions and say, Do you know what, I'm out. And it's because I'm not educated around that that I want out and I don't want to invest any time and effort in the education to understand so that I can make good decisions. And a lot of people are going to make that emotional decision and it's going to cost them dearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke to one of our members recently and she said one of the things that's really, really helped her as someone who's very risk adverse is just getting her education up. She found Let's Get Real and uh, Property Fit really, really helpful because now she can really actually understand what she's immersing herself in. Because again, we don't pretend there's no risk with this, um, but we always say that there's definitely ways to mitigate that. And if you go in more educated, then it's it's really not as scary as, as you think it is. Well, if you look at the most successful investors around the world, and we often refer to Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett doesn't read the media and then Berkshire Hathaway doesn't make any decisions on investing and they stay out of the market for six months. They don't do any trades, they don't buy or sell, they just sit there or they don't just sell off their entire portfolio um, because of what's happening in the market right now. Their long-term focus on investing is what's made them the most successful company on the planet. Now, because of that, if you take from a leaf from their book and say, how does Warren Buffett invest? How does Berkshire Hathaway invest? They're long-term investors and they're not concerned by short-term blip on the radar they're not in, they're not worried about short-term uh, positions on interest rates or short-term inflation or any of these other factors you've got to look at the fundamentals of the investment and how does it help you to achieve your goals long term and really the most successful of the successful investors are the ones that are going to keep their focus on the long term and that's how I invest I look at the long term and I know that there's going to be some bumps along the way I'd be crazy if I thought that everything was going to be smooth sailing it just does not happen that way um, there are some bumps along the way. But again, at the end of the day, if your dreams and goals are strong enough and that's what's driving you, nothing's going to get in the way. And that's mm. that's where I'm at with my investing. And I have been for 20 years. The, the goal and the end outcome is strong enough for me 
to not just pack up my bat and ball and go home. Yeah. Because yeah. if you do that based on today's market conditions, what's the alternative? If you're an investor listening to this this podcast, if you go and sell your investment portfolio now or if you sit on the sidelines waiting for things to get better, what are you going to do? Mm. What if things what if things stay the same for the next three or four years but property prices keep going up? You know, these are the things that, and the what if is what scares people. Yeah. And the thing is if you can if you can understand how to mitigate that, making sure that you're managing your debt properly, making sure that you're purchasing good quality investments, getting those tax benefits while the government's freely handing them out, getting the best yields you can, making sure all of your financial planning and your insurances is all up, up to date and setting up all of your ducks in order. If you're doing those things, then the market conditions right now are not going to affect your long-term goals. And the most sophisticated mm -hmm. investors and the most successful investors are the ones that continue to buy property year in, year out, and not worry about the market conditions at any given time. Because if you, like they say, dollar cost averaging, right? Just keep buying properties. You're going to hit some good markets and bad markets, but long-term, it's going to work out for you. And I think that's the... The, the, the fear for a lot of people because they're out there looking for the perfect investment. They're looking for mm. the perfect property and they're also looking for the perfect time. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favourite podcast app. Or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. Where should you look for for investment properties? The web? The newspaper? What if we told you some of the best investments never even made it to the public? The Property Mentors have exclusive access to a number of excellent off-market opportunities right around Australia. Don't miss out on the right property for your portfolio. Visit thepropertymentors.com.au today. So, Luke, even given everything you've just said, during a correction phase, should people still be investing? Absolutely. And I, yeah. I think the, the main thing um, with corrections is that it doesn't necessarily mean a price drop. A correction might mean that um, a, a market might have a better clearance rate, like we mentioned earlier. It might mean that the days on market actually increase slightly. So instead of a property being on the market for 45 days, it might increase to 65 days, which is more of a balanced market. Um, a correction might mean a correction in the, the Melbourne or the Sydney market overall, but in the suburb that you're buying or you're investing in, prices might still be increasing. So it, mm. does, it doesn't mean that uh, a correction is necessarily a bad thing. Um, corrections happen in every property cycle and also at different stages in a property cycle. You might have, like I've mentioned on previous podcasts, you might have an apartment market within one suburb and a townhouse suburb in, uh, sorry, a townhouse um, market within that suburb. Now, the apartments might be doing really well and the townhouses not so well. And prices might have overshot the mark 
with townhouses and they might be over overvalued at a certain time in that particular market and prices might come down by five or six or seven percent but then you might find in a year or two they go back up again so it's really hard to predict this stuff but i think the the main thing is is if you're buying for the long term uh, a short-term dip in prices or a correction by a few percentage points is not going to affect your long-term goals if you're holding it for the long term now people that are trying to get in and out of the market and pick the best time to buy and the big best time to sell those are the people that are going to probably suffer because you're trying to you're trying to essentially uh gamble with your investing and you're trying to pick the market which is um not the best way to invest for the long term yeah okay so don't be scared off by the little subcategories even though they say stuff like rba intervention and inflation and media hype and all that because Again, within that, there's there are positives. The RBA has a role to play. Uh, inflation yeah. inflation is what it is, and, and it's it's higher than it normally is, and that has to be pulled back in control, uh, under under control. And you know these things are normal market conditions. The RBA is going to do what the RBA does. Um, the governments are going to do what they need to do. Um, banks are going to do what they need to do. The media is always going to do whatever they want to do. Um, and we have to navigate through that. As a long-term investor, I'm not going to wait to see what inflation does. I'm not going to wait to see what the RBA does. I certainly don't care what the media is saying, uh, and I'm not looking at what anyone else is doing with their investing to make my own decisions on investing. So again, these things all come about because I've got a long-term focus on my investing, and after 22 years or so, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not being told by any third-party to, to sit on the sidelines or to to wait. I'm making my own decisions because I've got the education that I need to understand that this is a normal cycle. Yeah. The yeah. stuff that's happening right now in the market, yes, the numbers are a little bit different. Inflation's a little bit higher. Interest rates are a little bit lower. So rates are going up, but they're still lower than they've ever been uh, mm-hmm. over, the, over the longer term. So they're still incredibly low interest rates. Yes, they are going to increase back up to more levels, uh, more normal levels over the next six to 12 months or so. Um, that's not a bad thing. Um, mm. it, it, it does balance out the market. So, you know, looking at these market conditions doesn't scare me. It will scare some people. But if you understand how you can manage your way through these things and navigate and still build your portfolio with all of these external factors, then mm. you just become a master of dealing with the external factors. Um, mm. That's all you need to, to do. But sitting on the sidelines side is not going to make anybody money. Yeah, so it's all part of it, essentially. But going off this, what can we expect to see in the near future as far as what kind of, you know, time frame do we move between cycles? So if we're kind of in the broad correction stage now, will it be a few months? Will it be a few years until we enter the next stage of the cycle, which is recovery? Look, sadly, it is it is a bit of an unknown. It's how long's a piece of string because, yeah. okay. because there are so many um, macroeconomic factors to uh, what happens with inflation? We've now got things like monkeypox. We've got more COVID happening around the country. Um, we certainly don't expect any more lockdowns, but we're still not back to a normal market yet. Um, we've mm-hmm. still got delays and um, shortages with products uh, coming in and out of China and other parts of the world. We've still got delays and increased costs with building around the country as well. Um, so there are still a lot of these unknowns that we have to navigate through. So when we come out of this particular phase and go back into that recovery phase, it could be a period of three to six months. It could be it could be one to two years. It's very mm. difficult to place your finger on it. And generally the only time you really know 
is after it's happened. Uh, and, and you get a few months of, of um, uh, prices being consolidated. You see rent starting to increase. You'll see, um, you know, undersupply again. You'll start seeing all of this sort of stuff being reported in the media, which basically tells you, oh, it's already happened. Uh, it's very, mm. very hard to say, well, now we're going into the phase where rents increase and there's increased confidence in the market. All of these things, it's how, it's how long's a piece of string. Okay. So really, really, you'll see some of these things happening, but not all of them. So you'll see a little bit of increased confidence. Then you'll see some rents increasing in some markets. You'll see prices increasing in some markets, but it's very difficult to forecast and say, this is when it's going to happen. Sometimes the only time you can actually tell is looking back and saying, that actually happened three months ago. But mm. by that stage, it's already three months too late. Prices have already gone up and you've missed the boat. And so this is the um, the main point that we want to make is that if you understand that these are normal market conditions and you're a long-term investor, invest when you can afford to invest. If you've got the money, invest today. Um, the best time to invest was 10 years ago. Second best time was yesterday. The next best time was today. <laughs> I love that. Actually, my last question was going to be, you know, how will we know that we've moved into that next stage of the cycle and what we can sort of expect to see? But you know, as you said, how long is a piece of string? And a lot of the time we really just don't know until we're in it. But if you look at the those little subcategories um, of the property clock, you know, there's the rent increases, increase, sorry, increasing confidence, rising prices and undersupply. That's that's kind of what we're looking at as far as the next stage. That's right. And I think the, the thing that we've got to keep in mind also is that there's there's bigger factors at play here. We've got governments that want to make sure that the economy is ticking along well. They need people to go out there and spend. And one of the biggest things that they want people spending on is houses. They've got stamp mm-hmm. duty revenue. They've got other taxes and it keeps the economy going because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of other factors with, uh, with property. People buying and moving houses. They go to Bunnings and they spend. They go to Ikea and spend and they go to Harvey Norman and spend. And if people aren't moving houses and doing those things, then there's less of that activity in the in the consumer market as well. Uh, but of course, governments and uh, are one factor. But of course, banks are there as well. So banks are going to change their policies. So people that could borrow six hundred thousand dollars earlier in the year, their borrowing capacity may have been reduced recently down to four hundred or four hundred fifty thousand. But banks need to lend money to make money. So what will happen is banks will start uh, relaxing some of their lending criteria. So at the moment they're they're uh, forecasting your servicing with two or three percentage points higher than the actual loan amount because they know that rates are going up. But at the same time, banks have got certain targets within their own divisions to lend money out and they need to lend a certain amount of money to make the profit that they need to appease their shareholders. So all of this mm. is a bigger a bigger system that we're involved in that we can't have any influence over. I can't influence the governments to any any uh, any proper level. Uh, I can't influence the banks and tell them how to run their businesses. But if you look at all of these these you know macroeconomic uh, factors here, we've got global trade, we've got all sorts of things that come into this, where we can't influence these things anyway. So what we can influence is: Have I got a deposit? Will the banks loan me some money? And can I find a property that that's a good investment for that price? And I think the best part is having a mentor by your side. Like our team at the Property Mentors, we've got systems and processes that we follow to make sure that the properties that we're selecting not only fit into the long-term goal, but they also make make financial sense. Now, we do mm-hmm. have to build in a little bit of extra buffer with interest rates and so forth. But again, this is all comes into that planning so that you've got all of the numbers lined up in front of you. Uh, we use um, our auger 
investing reports to make sure that we've done that forecasting. Um, and these reports actually give us that information to make good investment decisions. So mm. again, going through that process means that at least we understand our numbers to decide whether we can proceed with that investment or not. So these are all the things. Having a mentor by your side is going to make sure that we're covering off your emotional readiness, understanding how to interpret the media noise, get mm. rid of the noise and only discuss the things that are relevant to your situation, um, cover off your educational readiness and also your financial readiness. So we're going through this process each and every time to make sure that we have all of those bases covered so that you can move into the market or not based on having informed decisions. But if you're about to go out there in the market and you're not actually ready, we can actually stop you from doing that. We can actually hold mm. a mirror hold a mirror up and say, hey, have you, have you really thought about this? Um, yeah. But e- equally, we've got a lot of people out there that, you know, they, uh, they, they're worried about these market conditions. They're worried about interest rates and all of these things. And by having a proper discussion about it, we can put things in, into perspective. And uh, oftentimes it helps people to really get an understanding of, of, of how real um, these, these concerns actually are. Yeah, and so that we're prepared and meaning they're prepared for, for anything that gets thrown their way, I guess. But as I said before, this episode was inspired by one of our latest blog articles and there's a link available to that in our show notes so that you can check out what the property clock actually looks like um, and so that you can have a look at a few different stats and data points, as I said, from March 2020 and Feb from this year, just as a bit of a comparison to sort of house medium prices and um, some other things as well. Um, but Luke, I can I can hear that machinery coming closer and closer to you, so I think it's time to wrap up. But I hope, it's, I hope this instills and restores some more confidence uh you know back in people and especially in the sort of the you know quote unquote correction and recovery stages um but luke thank you as always for your time thanks baby look forward to speaking soon if you found this episode or any of our episodes helpful please make sure to share and leave a rating to help us reach more people on their investing journeys And of course, subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Investor Intelligence Podcast. You can find links to our other socials in the show notes, including a link to the Property Mentors weekly blog. If you're ready to get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom, check out Luke's latest book, Property Fit. You can get yourself a copy at www.propertyfitbook.com.au. 